I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ah, good times. I love to hear the music. It means I get to talk to my man right there. There he is. That's Sean. I'm Jeff. Thanks, you guys, for tuning on in. A little Husker Online action on a Monday. We do it each and every week. I'm telling you, Sean, it's getting a lot more fun to do these things after victories. That's back-to-back Big Ten victories for the Cornhuskers, and that is what, the first time since 2018? Is that right? Correct. The first time since Scott Frost's first season that they've won two Big Ten games in a row. And let me tell you, there's been many of times in that stretch between there that they should have won multiple right. games in a row, and they haven't. I mean, when you look at point spreads, game projections, so um, you kind of laugh a little bit. It was Indiana and Rutgers, but you can't really laugh if you're Nebraska. They, they need each little step. And as you know, you probably watched the game Friday night. It was the only I thing did. on it wasn't a pretty win, but they figured out a way uh, to, to win a very ugly game. Hey, and they got an offensive coordinator fired. I mean, Rut- Rutgers fired Sean Gleason after the game. So Yeah, um, yeah. I was I was laughing. My, uh, my wife, my significant other, uh, watched me watch that game, and I've gotten so into this season for Nebraska. I'm yelling at the TV. She said, what are you, what are you doing? It's, it's Nebraska and, and, and Rutgers on a Friday night. Why aren't you relaxed? I said, no, I want them to win this game. Let's go. We're rolling. <laughs> hey, we brought you into this war now, Jeff. You're, you're, you, you are all in on this. Yeah. Season and it got very interesting right away. And, and if you would have told me, and I wrote this after the game, after they fired Scott Frost, after they fired Eric Chenander, lost to Oklahoma in the way they did, that we'd be sitting here on October 15th with Nebraska still playing meaningful Big Ten football, I would have said no way. Um, so I, I do think it is an accomplishment that this team has at least put themselves in a position where they're going to play some meaningful football here o- over the next few weeks. We're going to have Steve Sippel on as we're wont to do on these Mondays. Tom Deanhart going to join us longtime Purdue expert to talk about it from that side of things. And then we'll conclude tonight with Jim Rose. Guys, if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you like and subscribe here. And what are you waiting on? Just $10 for a membership here for Husker Online, the best in the business. And they got a coaching search going on. we got some back-to-back wins here and really big games. Sean, I wanted to ask you because Mickey Joseph is now 2-1. and one since taking over, right? That's the winners of back-to-back games. And now we've got Purdue, a little bit different animal, then ranked Illinois as it stands right now. Minnesota, followed by a roadie against Michigan. What's he got to do in that stretch of four? Two and two? Three and one? Yeah, I don't know if there's an exact magic number, but I would think at least two more wins because if if he can get this team to somehow six wins, it's gonna the conversation gets very interesting. I think if he were to pull off an upset at Purdue, which – is very much possible. I mean, I know Purdue is a 12, 12 and a half point favorite as we speak right now. 
Um, but if they were to go in there and win that game on the road, then they have a bye week. All of a sudden, that Illinois game heading into Halloween is going to be massive for Nebraska, October 29th. Then with the Gophers coming in the next week, um, we don't know the kickoff times for both those games. And by the way, Athletic Director Trev Alberts um, and his staff announced that they are expecting the final three home games, Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, to be sellouts. So the sellout streak um, should survive and live on um, another year. And then they'll have a new coach or something different next year that probably should keep it alive again. And then I would imagine by 2024, they're going to start a lot of stadium projects and blow things up. So um, I do feel good about the long-term sake of that sellout streak. And it's very important, as all of our listeners know, to to Nebraska's history uh, and what it means. But, yeah, this Purdue game is going to be big. It's been sold out for several months. They are walking into a very tough environment. We've been to West Lafayette where it's empty. This is going to be packed, and and then the fan base is going to be thinking that we can win the Big Ten West there, and they'll have that place rocking. So I would ask you, in order to win this game, Sean, a couple things stand out. We talk about the game on Friday night. Well, several things stand out. But for starters, Casey Thompson's tough. That's all well-established, but nobody should have to be that tough. What is Nebraska going to do about an offensive line right now, Sean, that's just simply put terrible? Yeah, I mean, you've watched a lot of football, and it's bad. I mean, you when you see the numbers, I mean, Nebraska gave up 26 um, – the, the quarterback was pressured 26 times on 38 dropbacks. Think about that. Mm. So he only had 12 just kind of clean, non-pressured throws in that game. And he still did what he did, got up. Um, you know, their, their tackle play gave up, you know, 15-plus quarterback hurries alone – uh, the left and the right side. I mean, it was just, you know, drag racers coming off the edge on every play. And um, Casey kind of, I mean, he was joking, but serious. He's like, they were going so hard at me. He goes, I knew at some point they were just going to have to get tired. <laughs> 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 like you can't run like that and keep that same kind of speed for 20 or 30 repetitions. Um, and, and they did slow down. I will say like as the game wore on, but they couldn't run it either. Um, Anthony Grant, yeah, I think 47 yards rushing. 45 of those came after contact. So it wasn't like he had any clear runs. I mean, when he ran, he met contact right away on almost all of his rushing yards. Yeah, I I thought that was the thing that stood out most to me, Sean, watching that game. It was a gutty win. It's a good comeback. It's nice to get those wins like we're talking about right now so that you could be playing meaningful games, beautiful weather in mid-October and care about these things. But watching him get hit time and again, I know he had to come out there, and Chubba Purdy came in, and I just kept thinking, I don't know if this kid's going to survive it, and uh, he's really likable because of that toughness, but uh, things are going to have to be better on the road against Purdue, at least in terms of blocking it up, if he's going to make it through that game, let alone the season. Well, keep in mind, this is an offensive line that's without its projected starting left tackle, without its projected starting left guard. Um, Nuri Noelli, the left guard, suspended for the year. Uh, their, their left tackle, Teddy Prohaska, out for the year. Um, then Kevin Williams out uh, with an injury. So that they're down some really important bodies. Uh, they've had a shuffle around a lot of different guys. But I do think this line would probably look a little bit different if they had these guys back, and they don't. So um, it's really put them in a tough spot because Bryce Benhart at right tackle is underperformed. So then they put Hunter Anthony in. Well, he underperformed. 
Um, so they're, they're just, I think for Donovan Raiola, who's been at Nebraska for now nine or 10 months, his job is so difficult because he didn't have any time to really even bring guys in here to recruit. And, you know, so he's, you know, he's trying to make it work and they just don't have a lot of material right now available. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. I see Sip is waiting in the green room. We don't make stars wait around here. Let's get him in. Here he comes. There he is. Hello, Mr. Sipple. How are you? Good, Jeff. And how are you doing? I'm well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, actually, you wrote the story on Casey Thompson's toughness, right? Um, yes, I did. Yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about that. That kid took a beating. Sean and I were just chit-chatting about it. What, what to do now moving forward with this offensive line? Yeah, I, hear, I heard Sean soften it up with a very palatable euphemism. They're underperforming. That's a nice way to put it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Sean. That was very kind. Um, they suck. Um, that, that, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm mostly joking. Um, I don't know what the answer is. There's a few moves they can make that maybe Sean – uh, talked about, I mean, you know, Brant Banks is out there. They don't have a lot of options, but Brant Banks played pretty well at, against Indiana at left tackle. You could try him again and move Corcoran into inside the guard. I don't know. I mean, that's one thing. He's, you got Henry Lutovsky as a guard. That, you know, he's been rotating with Bando on the right side, right guard. Maybe try him a little bit more. They don't have a lot, though. There's just not a lot they can do. I Unfortunately, I think what you're dealing with is a line that's – I think they're trying as hard as they can. This might just be as much as they got, which is scary. I'll, I'll tell you why it's scary. And I'm not talking about pass blocking. I was just thinking about Anthony Grant earlier today. So Purdue ranks 18th in the country. 18th in the country against the run. I mean, Purdue's got a, like a real defense now. So then Nebraska plays Illinois, which ranks third in the country against the run. Then Nebraska plays Minnesota, which ranks sixth in the country against the run. And then Nebraska plays Michigan, which ranks seventh in the country against the run. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> other than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what all the sack numbers are, but, but I will tell you this. I know Michigan has 22 sacks. Um, they might get 10 against Nebraska. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be rough. They, they, they they're going to have to really put their heads together in that offensive staff room. Seriously. Yes, the, uh, I don't know. If you know, Raiola, he came in at such a tough spot too. I mean, it wasn't like he had any time. I mean, he didn't bring Hunter Anthony here as his transfer. That was done by Eric Chenander. Kevin Williams was basically brought in through a relationship with Mickey Joseph there. And, and that kind of happened before he got here. So there really wasn't much. I mean, Sure, there were transfer portal guys he could have tried to persuade, but they didn't see anybody out there. They also didn't think that Teddy Prohaska was going to get hurt for the year again. They didn't know Nuri Noelli was going to get suspended for the year. So it, it's just a bad hand of cards all around for this whole line. Yes, Sean, you're right. I mean, they probably 
they probably brought Prohaska back, Teddy Prohaska back a little too quick, but out of need. I mean, I understand it. I'm not, you know, we always try to be fair to the people we're dealing with. And in fairness, I probably would have tried to bring him back quick too. Um, mm. You thought maybe he would be your answer at left tackle. He played a couple games last year where he looked like a future star. So yeah. And then Teddy going down, um, complicated things for sure. Um, and you just expected more out of Ben Hart, Bryce Benhart. I mean, it's, you know, it's, he's getting, I know he's only a sophomore, but Sean, I think this is his fourth year in the program. It's time. It's kind of time for that guy like that to round into shape. And he just didn't, I don't know why. I mean, it's, it's sort of perplexing. Um, but I, um, yeah, that's hey, that's their biggest problem. Hey, you know what? It's not even close, really, at this point, as to what their their biggest problem area is. It's it's the offensive line and the whatever you would identify as the next biggest problem area is a long ways back. I was going to ask you to flip it and go to the other side, Sip. Um, mm -hmm. You're going. Uh, O'Connell's good, and uh, Charlie Jones is a nice player for Purdue. We're we're talking about their offense going against Nebraska. What's going to happen at corner? Oh, that's a, Hey, Jeff. I mean, that's a critical question. I mean, will Quentin Newsome, we'll, you know, Jeff, we talked to Mickey tomorrow, Mickey Joseph. Um, and we'll ask him about Quentin Newsome's got a groin issue. Um, if it's not him, it'd be Brandon Moore, which is a really interesting story. Brandon Moore before this year only played three games since the start of the 2019 season for a variety of reasons, I guess, but he's 25 years old. And he, you know, he had a cr critical pick in the second half the other night. He looks like a pretty good player. And then on the other side, you have a, a little true freshman, Malcolm Hartsog. Now, how can, can those guys hold up? Um, will they have to hold up? I don't know. I mean, it looks like they might. And I, I guess I'm kind of confident that, that the defense is playing much better than Jeff, the numbers, in the last two games for the second half are astoundingly good. I mean, they, they have held teams to, I mean, they're back-to-back -back shutouts in the second half. They've only allowed eight first downs in the, in the last two second halves of games. They, they, the opponent hasn't even got into the red zone in the second half of these games. They have, they haven't, I mean, they, they're only averaging 2.2 yards per carry in the second half, Indiana and Rutgers, 3.3 yards a pass in the second half of those games. So they've locked it down. They're playing well. But Newsom is an injury to watch, and so is um, Luke Reimer, the inside linebacker who went out, went out of the game the other night. Hey, Sip, we got a good question here from Britain, and I wanted to ask you this. And I know it's hard to answer, but do you think Mickey will stay on this staff how likely is it that he could stay on the staff if he does not get the head coach job and how complicated could that discussion get? Well, I think it could get pretty complicated, especially if Mickey wins a few more games and doesn't get the job because he, other teams might give him a look, which is sort of the the roughest scenario you can imagine for Nebraska. If, if he wins, Sean, if, you know, if he would win two or three or four more games and doesn't get the job and, and gets hired by somebody else, I mean, Colorado's out there, for instance. You don't know who else is going to open. Um, that that discussion gets really tricky. Could they keep him here in a non-head coaching capacity? Yeah, I think it would take. You know, they they would have to do that. Do that. They would have to pull that lever that some schools do and 
make him like an associate head coach and pay him over a million, probably well over a million. Nebraska can do that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that what that's going to look like. You know, people always ask us, Jeff, me and Sean, Sean and I, uh, is it really busy? This search must be really, really excruciating. Well, it's not because I don't think there's much going on right now. But it's but we're moving toward the period where there is going to have to be some things going on, and it will get interesting. Okay, that leads me to my next question, Matt Rule. Yeah, that is the the flavor of the day fired today by the Carolina Panthers. Um, had a great run at Baylor and Temple. Mm-hmm. What's your feel on Matt Rule? I know, I mean, the ink hasn't even dried on his pink slip in Carolina, so. I think it's a little premature to say Nebraska's already reached out to him, but what's your feel on that, Matt Rule in Nebraska? Well, Sean, I mean, these things can be kind of cold. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if anybody reached out to him already. That's, I mean, we always, I always kind of try to think on a human level, and then I'm always sort of surprised how inhumane these things can be. Um, they, they, uh, they, yeah, they can move on him. I mean, it's business, Sean. This is business. Um, I don't know if Trev would be interested in him. I don't have a great feel for that, except he does check some boxes, Sean. I mean, he's his teams are hard-nosed teams. He does have Power 5 experience. Um, you mentioned Temple and Baylor. He did an outstanding job of turning around programs. I mean, that's what you're talking about here. He was left with a mess at Baylor. Um and 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 turned it around pretty quickly. Turned around Temple quickly, and that's kind of what you're looking for here. He's he's highly regarded in the profession. Of course, he's a guy you'd look at. I I would think, I would think Trev. I mean, surely Trev is is well aware of his accolades. Uh, now, is that somewhere where Trev would go? I don't know. Now, but but if he did, I think the fan base would be receptive. I mean, I two questions. Not that that totally matters, but I think it. I think it would be receptive. Two questions I have, and I don't know. I mean, if it's important or not, but is he a cultural fit? Is he a personality fit? Yeah, I think he is for this program. He's affable. I think and he can handle this place. You know what I mean? Should yeah? Um, should it matter? I mean, I mean. Oh, I think it matters, Sean. I do think that matters. There's certain guys that you almost rule out because. Because the because the fishbowl, I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Okay, they, they, there's just certain guys that a they don't want to handle the fishbowl, and b um, they're not very good at handling the fishbowl, and they know that they know their limitations. Um, but I think Rule is someone that could could. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with him. I think he could handle it here, and I do think that's a I do think that's a factor in this. I because you know there's guys out there, and I'm not going to name them. But we've talked about it. There's certain guys that wouldn't want to do it. They just wouldn't want a place where the where it's always so where the attention is always so white hot here, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, but, but I think Rule could handle that. And he's done a remarkable job. You you you're right to hit on it. I was going to ask that question too. I'm glad Sean brought it up. That you're talking about a guy whose greatest successes have happened in college, and who loves the grind, and I think would love and welcome the attention. Um, this is a great job for the right guy. And if mm-hmm. you attack it, uh, you're, a, you're a conquering hero pretty quickly. I, I don't think it's going to take too long for Nebraska. And we've seen this with schools that have the kind of cachet 
that Nebraska does. It's the right guy. You got to hit on the mm -hmm. right guy. Well, when you do, that cachet comes into play because you have something to fall back on, like great tradition and having won over the, 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 the long term of the program's history. Nebraska's always won. This downturn, and it's been a lengthy one, it, it is really the outlier. And so the right guy, I think, touches into that tradition and gets the right people motivated. And obviously money's not a problem at Nebraska. There's not, Jeff, you're exactly right. I am, I'm, I'm like you, I'm adamant. I'm adamant that with the right guy, it can turn quick. And mm -hmm. Sean, and, and the, there's nuances in this discussion that are really important. Well, it's not even really a new, is a $165 million athletic facility a new one? It's probably not. That's just a, that's just a, a huge reality. It's part, that's the headquarters. That's where the next head coach will be based. That's very important. It's teams based in a place that will be brand new and will be one of the nicest training facilities in the world. Okay. That's important that Sean, Sean is very familiar and covers at a high level the uh, NIL operation here, the head coach, the next head coach will be walking in to a new headquarters and an NIL operation that Nebraska is very serious about that has the very best fundraisers that the school has ever had, not just sports and period. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's it, with the right guy, Nebraska's really got to really got to think about it in a big time way. What I, what I'm saying, Jeff is Nebraska has got to get the guy that can chase down Ohio state. I mean, that's, I think that's the way they got to think. You don't hear that around here enough. I don't think, but I'm, I'm blowing that trumpet loud. You got to get the guy that can chase down that monster, wrestle it down. And that, you know, that's, that's Trev's challenge. Don't settle. I, that's what I would tell Trev. Don't settle. I mean, you gotta, you're, 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 UCLA and USC are going to join this phrase. It's got to get tougher. You better get you better get a guy that can handle all of it. Sip, um, what were your thoughts? I mean, you look around the Big Ten. Rutgers fired their offensive coordinator after the way they played. Obviously, Wisconsin's fired Paul Chris. Nebraska's made a coordinator change, a head coach change. What are your thoughts at Iowa right now with what's going on there with their offense? And Kirk Ferentz continues to say, like, we're not mm -hmm. touching the thing. We're going to keep things as is uh, you watched a lot of that game I mean mm -hmm. what, what's your thoughts on Iowa's offense and the fact that they just kind of keep riding with things and ignoring maybe some of the issues that they have right now well I mean I don't in a sense I guess I would take up for Brian Ferentz and his father in that they really got dealt a bad hand at receiver injury wise they're really they don't have much at all at receiver so I think that well, I know this because I've read it, that Kirk Ferentz in evaluating his son takes into account the lack of firepower there. I mean, I don't know about the other night, but they were lining up Laporta as Sam Laporta. They're very gifted tight end as a receiver for much of this season. Um, they they just got Nico Regani back recently. They were down to three, I think three scholarship receivers. They, just didn't have, they didn't have much yeah, to two. go to. Yeah. Okay. Two, you say two, they, you know, they have a true freshman running back who looks very promising. Um, and Petrus, I mean, I know it's easy to hang it on a quarterback. It's always kind of the knee jerk reaction, but again, doesn't have much to throw to. He, he goes to Laporta in either Laporta or Regani the other night, almost, I mean, it's extremely predictable what they're doing. So I, 
they just won 10 games last year. I guess I'm of the mind. I, I kind of side with Kirk, who said that the other day, the other night, when asked about the situation. He said, hey, um, we won 10 games last year. Maybe you forgot that. Kind of snide, but he got his point across. <laughs> yeah, and coaches aren't going to say, especially not to the press, especially if they feel attacked, oh, yeah, you guys are right. I've got it all wrong. I'm going to have to go back and reevaluate everything. They're not going to do that. They're going to tell you we stick by our guy. We'll work on it internally. There's some things we can do. Yeah. We think we have the right plan in place. And and there's a lot of kind of bad blood in that situation there with just some of the things that happen off the field and it's father, son, Mm -hmm. other things that have happened. So I just think that situation at Iowa in general is a lightning rod when you talk about the father, son element, former players, and other things that have happened there um, off the field. It just adds fuel to kind of things in Iowa City. Yeah, Jeff, it sounds like you've been around college football a long time. <laughs> I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. Um, I've had a good time with it, and I've been fortunate enough to cover it uh, in, as a professional, I guess you would call it that, uh, for 25 years, and certainly have followed it like everybody else as a passion and a love for longer than that. So you know how it goes with these coaches. They're not going to. They're not going to really concede that to the media too right. often, especially not in a father-son situation. It can be, it can be a pretty uh, dicey situation there. I would say this though to mention, uh, Sip, uh, Petrus hasn't been very good even no. in their ten-win season. <laughs> no, he hasn't. Sean knows for some reason I always take up for Petrus because I like. I don't him. know why you do that. You're like an only fan out. I like, I like his demeanor. I do. He's always. <laughs> He's clearly a good leader, but man, he misses a lot of throws. And I and I've watched him twice this year, Jeff. And sometimes it's I'm sort of aghast. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he, he I don't know. He miss misses guys high a lot. I've noticed that, um, and just flat misses guys. So, um, yeah, there's he's an issue, but they got a lot of other issues too. They do. Hey, Sip, we got to get moving. We got to get Tom Deanhart in here and talk some Purdue. It's always good, buddy. Be well. Have a good night. I hope somebody asks you about the pineapple on your head. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. (laughs) I'm glad you noticed. What do you got Uh, going there? Is that like a Travis Matthew hat or something? It's I, you know, me pretty well already, uh, Sean, I usually do have a golf hat on and this is a fact, a a golf hat, a golf hat, I should say. Um, And it just, it, it, it has, it has to do with good luck for putting. I actually bought it because I just like pineapples and I saw it and I was like, I like pineapples. I'll wear that. There you go. Uh, (laughs) I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. There's Tom Deanhart. He is in the green room, ready to go. Longtime Purdue expert joins us on the show. Good evening, Tom. Thanks so much for joining us. How you guys doing? I appreciate you having me on. This is a nice setup you guys have there. Good times. Good to have you on. Sean, carry the day. Let's go. Well, Tom, um, obviously Purdue has been challenged. I mean, they opened with Penn State. You guys played at Syracuse. Uh, I mean, you've been challenged in a lot of ways at Maryland, at Minnesota. What's your assessment of this Boilermaker team who appears to be right in the thick of this thing to win the West right now? 
Yeah, I asked Jeff Brom that today at his press conference about the resiliency that the team has been able to uh, to display so far, Sean. You know, um, they took some they took some gut punches in September. You know, that 35 to 31 loss to Penn State in the opener at home, they allowed the Nittany Lions to score the winning touchdown with 57 seconds to go. Then at Syracuse, they allowed the winning touchdown to be scored with seven seconds to go. So um, you could have gone one of two ways after losing a couple of games like that coming off. I, I think a disappointing September You could have just gone gone in the tank or you could, have, I guess, circled the wagons. And and that's what Purdue has done, guys. Uh, a 2-0 start to start this month. And I thought in August this was going to be the make or break month for Purdue, right? Three of the four games in October are on the road. And Purdue's already played two on the road. They won them both as an underdog. Here comes Nebraska. And then they finish at Wisconsin this month. So you're right, Sean. Purdue's sitting pretty good right now at 4-2. and two, And what looks like it's a wall, going to be a wide-open Big Ten West race. Have you ever seen the West this wide open? I mean, usually you're like, yeah, Wisconsin's going to pull this out or Iowa's going to pull this out or Nebraska or somebody. It, I mean, I don't think on heading into October 15th weekend, I don't know if you can say that right now about anybody. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you can make a case for for three, maybe four schools. I know we, we spoke earlier today and you don't want to give up on Wisconsin yet, right? I mean, I, I certainly don't want to either. There's too much pedigree there. Maybe the coaching change sparks them. And we talked about Illinois, one of the bigger surprises nationally. They're, they certainly look like they're going to be legit. And then Purdue obviously is making a little bit of noise too. And I don't want to, I don't want to give up on Minnesota yet either. Uh, once they get Mo Ibrahim back, I still like Tanner Morgan. I like PJ Fleck. Big game this weekend in Champaign for Minnesota. So, yeah, I mean, I think any of those those four teams or so right there would have a shot. And I know Nebraska too, Sean. Obviously, they're they're sitting at the top of the Big Ten. So. Heck, we got to keep them in the conversation too. So I certainly can't recall any year where the the West looked this wide open. I mean, if Nebraska wins in West Lafayette, then then you can start making a case for them. But you know, the tiebreakers are going to be so big in, in this thing, and you know, any tiebreaker you get, that's why that Purdue win at Minnesota was just massive because I felt like the Gophers had a great schedule, and winning the tiebreaker on a year like this over them could be the difference. Yeah, you're right. That was a good one for Purdue to get in his back pocket. And, uh, you know, back in back in August, when you're picking wins and losses, you're going through the schedule, right? That was a game I had a big L by for Purdue. So uh, that that was a surprise. And you're right. Uh, could end up being a victory that looms large as we head down the stretch if you start looking at tiebreakers and whatnot. So Purdue guys has their next five games are all Western Division opponents. I talked about the rest of October a moment ago, November, two games at home, two on the road, Iowa, Illinois, Northwestern, and Indiana. Boy, I never would have thought, you know, back in August, that game in Champaign on, on November 12th could be a big one. But, boy, it certainly could be a one that has a big impact on who wins that division. Yeah, you, you look at um, this Purdue, de- uh, Purdue team, they lost a lot of great players, you know, the last two years. Um, I mean, what, what, I mean, is this team all Aiden O'Connell when you, when you look at just what they do on offense? Cause they don't have Rondell Moore. They don't have David Bell. They don't have Karloffis. They don't have that tight end. You guys had a couple years ago. That was unbelievable. You got a good tight end still right now in Payne Durham. Um, but you've lost a lot. You've had a lot of coordinator changes on defense, but, um, you know, Brahm has kind of figured out how to keep this thing together out there. It's interesting. Yeah. This is the fourth year in a row with a fourth different defensive play caller. 
just, uh, you know, the, the turnover at, at, at the assistant coaching level has been a one constant during Brahms six years, but he's still been able to forge a lot of success and make no mistake about it. You know, uh, the stamp on his on this program is the offense and is the quarterback play, right? And I think that's what it's got to be for every coach at Purdue. It's very quarterback centric university. That's the that's the history, the lineage you have to embrace for the head coach, the cradle of quarterbacks. And Jeff Brown has been a perfect fit for that, sort of a mad scientist, if you will. And he may have his best quarterback yet here at Purdue, named O'Connell, better than David Blau or Elijah Sinlar or Jack Plummer. Uh, former walk-on, we all know the story very well, guys. Not a great athlete, but he can sling the rock. He's very accurate. He's very smart. He's well-liked by his teammates, and he's tough, too. Never underestimate the toughness of a quarterback. And without a doubt, he's the best quarterback in the West. I think the only quarterback better in the league is probably C.J. Stroud. So you're right, Sean. He's the guy that that butters the bread for Purdue, and, and they're only going to go as far as he takes him, obviously. You got anything there, Jeff, for, for Tom? No, no, I'm listening to the two experts uh, on the Big Ten in the coming weeks, and I'm riveted by it because I've fallen into this uh, this year as we were talking about, Sean, and monitoring this every week now and having a blast um, watching the mess that is the West and trying to decipher yeah. who's going to come out of it. But I, I have to say I've been very impressed with Purdue, and, and you know, I, I thought – Getting there's been two really nice wins for them, and we just you guys just got done talking about them. That I thought, okay, well this this changes the course of the season and what I think their ceiling really is. Yeah, again, that was um, two 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 confidence building wins, if you will. Yeah. on the road is an underdog, and they won three in a row, guys. If they win, sadly, that'll be four in a row, which they haven't done since 2018. So a, a lot of momentum, but they're they're obviously still uh, warts, if you will. And potential, you know, cracks in their foundation. Still not a relatively deep team. It's always going to be an issue at a place like Purdue. Injuries are starting to mount. The offensive line's taking a couple of hits. Uh, it's sort of walking a tightrope right now with personnel. It's comfortable playing. Charlie Jones isn't 100%, guys. They still really haven't had a number, another number two receiver step up. So, I mean, I could go on and on and try to paint this picture of gloom and doom. But there are a lot of things that this team could perish to maybe – you know, be their downfall, if you will. But again, there's all, a lot of good things too. We talked about O'Connell. Um, we have talked about a little bit about Charlie Jones, what he's met, and the tight end Payne Durham. Sean mentioned him, and the defense in particular, guys. The defensive line is the strength of that unit. A deep group. There's no superstar, but Mark Hagan, the line coach, is comfortable playing upwards of eight to eight, even ten guys, and that rotation has allowed Purdue to keep fresh bodies in. And, and as you guys know, as football fans. Or if you can keep fresh bodies on that D-line going into the third and fourth quarter, it's going to help you. And in that physical Big Ten West, when you're playing Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, those teams that want to pound the rock, you're going to have to have fresh bodies so you don't get worn down in the fourth quarter and let those backs start ripping off big runs to kill you. Tom, what are you expecting atmosphere-wise? I mean, I know it's been sold out for months. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Nebraska fans bought tickets early to be in there. Are you expecting – you know, a really, really electric night game atmosphere at ross Aid Stadium. Yeah, I, I really do. You're right, Sean. This game sold out a long time ago, and um, Nebraska is always a marquee foe. They always bring their own good good group of fans. And just the fact that, we, as, as we've talked about, right, Purdue's playing really well right now, so there's a lot of excitement. So I think you couple all those things together, 
and it should be a, an electric atmosphere, 7.30 kickoff on BTN, and the stakes are high for both teams, too. So it's everything there. Every ingredient is present to make this a big game, and this crowd, I think, is going to respond, and it should be very vocal and very loud and very fun atmosphere. Hey, Tom, before we let you go, we did get a couple questions here from Nebraska fans in the chat for you. JS wants to know what you think Purdue's key is to get a victory over Nebraska, the biggest key uh, for a victory over Nebraska uh, from Purdue's standpoint. I think being able to generate just enough of a ground game to keep that Nebraska defense off balance. Purdue's never going to be great at running the football, but they want to run just well enough because Nebraska's going to dare Purdue to run the football. And they've got to be able to take advantage of that, make Nebraska pay, make Nebraska respect the run. Once that happens, boom, Aiden O'Connell's play action passes are that much more effective. And Purdue can hit some of those big pass plays downfield and hopefully get some big plays and score some easy touchdowns. Well, Tom, I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to come on. Uh, I've always appreciated your insight and just everything you bring to the table because nobody knows more about Purdue than you over there and uh, I'll see you on uh, Saturday. I'll maybe hopefully Friday night, hopefully, hopefully at the chocolate shop. Yeah. Hey, Sean, I'm, I'm saying I've known you since 2008. I'm, 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 we, go, we go back a long way and you know what I think of you, Sean and Sip and Robin, that whole crew and you guys are fantastic. And I appreciate you letting me drop some knowledge on you tonight. Well, Jeff's not familiar with what Harry's chocolate shop is, but it, I've it, got to come up and do this at some point next year. We'll get you a big bowl of chocolate. How about that? Wink, wink. I, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Wink, wink is right. I'm in. I'm in. Hey, Tom, be well, sir. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, fellas. Thanks, be well. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Uh, we jump uh, from Tom Deanhart right into our weekly appearance. With uh, There he is. There's Jim Rose. I knew he was in the green room. Come on in here, big man. How are you? Good, sir. How you doing, fellas? Nice to talk to you. Great to talk to you, you need again. To get some on three gear now. What's that? You need to get you some on three gear. You're right. You know, I am a, I am an easy sell. I mean, you give me free stuff, it gets on TV, uh, and it's very cheap. I don't know how big the audience is, and I don't know how motivated the audience is. You send me stuff, big man, I'll wear it. <laughs> Hey, hey, Jim, I asked Sean this at the beginning, and I know it's become a weekly question, but I'm always intrigued by your answer. I have an opinion, but I'm way over here. It doesn't make a difference what I think of this. Mickey Joseph's 2-1 and one now since taking over, but we've got Purdue, Illinois, who's currently ranked, Minnesota followed by a road game against Michigan, who's got Nebraska outgunned by a lot. What's he got to do? 2-2, two 3-1? and, two, three and one? Is there anything he can do? I'm going to ask you every week. <laughs> <laughs> he's playing himself into the conversation. There's no doubt about it, guys. I mean, we, we, you can't argue. It's two wins. Uh, and many people speculate that if Scott Frost had been the head coach, it's two losses. I don't know about that. Uh, Rutgers, and we talked about this a week ago, Rutgers did not have a Division One offense. Uh, and the reason that Sean Gleason got fired yesterday is because he was, did not prepare a quarterback for the game. And that's his job. And they did not have a prepared quarterback. Noah Vedbrill was absolutely ready to go except for his thumb. And we all saw, I mean, he couldn't even throw the ball 
on a bubble screen. So they really, really just didn't have anything offensively. And they were hoping that a 13 and nothing lead would hold up. It didn't. But yeah, the team is two and one uh, with him as the head coach. Uh, and this game this week is really big for Nebraska's season. And I, I look at everybody's schedule the rest of the way, and there's no doubt that Minnesota has the toughest schedule of anybody that's a contender uh, at this stage of the season. They got to play at Illinois, they got to play at Penn State, at Nebraska, at Wisconsin, and then they got Iowa and Northwestern and Rutgers around those. Nebraska, if the Huskers can get a win Saturday night, clearly have the easiest schedule. You know, you got Illinois at home, you got Minnesota at home, yeah, at the big house. Then you got Wisconsin at home and at Iowa. And we know that Iowa's in the throes of a very disappointing season. So this game with Purdue is really big for both teams. Uh, and if Purdue wins this one, they look really good. Uh, you got at Wisconsin, you got Iowa at home, at Illinois, Northwestern, at Indiana. So this game, Saturday night, looms pretty large for those two programs, I believe. Rosie, what – um. I mean, what what you make of the offense? I mean, they, they for Nebraska, they just didn't look ready. I mean, you put it on the offensive line, you put it on Mark Whipple, who, you know, he's clearly battling some some health things on the side. I mean, I saw him at the hotel on Thursday. He has a surgery in, in at the stadium. He has one of those little surgery scooter deals, and he had, he had to use a golf cart to kind of get in and around the field. I mean, he, he's sixty five years old and, and has been battling some things. This offense didn't look really in sync at all, other than a, maybe a few series that won them the game. It's it's very puzzling, Shano. I, I I continue to be aghast at why Nebraska doesn't commit more to the run, <laughs> and that I think the low point of the second half was blowing it on fourth and one. They didn't even have Anthony Grant out there on third down. When you go empty backfield on fourth and one, the whole solar system knows you're going to throw the ball. Uh, so I'm puzzled by this. I thought that maybe there was some friction between Frost and Whipple, that, that Frost really wasn't ready to give up play calling and game planning. But when he disappeared, I got the impression that, okay, this is the way we're going to do things. Uh, Mark Whipple's in charge of the offense. Mickey Joseph has input, but he's leaving the offensive staff in uh, control of the game plan and then the execution in game. Uh, this team is not going to win very many games the rest of the way without a running game. Can we all agree on that? I think Anthony Grant is the best back Nebraska's had since Amir Abdullah. I mean, I've been really impressed with the guy. He's physical. He's shifty. He's got a tremendous lateral move that, that's going to be tough. Here's the difference. The defenses the rest of the way are going to not only punch Nebraska in the mouth, they're going to knock a few teeth loose. <laughs> so what we're seeing the rest of the way is big boy physical football. And Tom said it, you, know, you got injuries at Purdue. Everybody's got injuries. And as Trev Alberts said years ago, if you're not injured in middle October, it's because you're not playing. Everybody's going to have injuries. Everybody's going to have people hurt. Nebraska's looking at Newsom and Reimer as a question mark for Saturday night, which could be huge because Purdue loves to throw to the tight end, ask Maryland. And that's one of Luke Reimer's responsibilities. So, uh, it's, it's going to be physical. Nebraska is going to play six unbelievably physical football teams the rest of the way. Even the teams that aren't playing well, like Iowa and Wisconsin, although Wisconsin played better Saturday. This team had better take on a physical nature, or it's not going to make it. And it starts, I think, with committing to a running game with Grant, with Urban, with anybody. But, but doggone it, hand off the ball. <laughs> 
that AJ Allen injury now, I mean, when you take a few steps back, I mean, that was a massive injury because, yes. you know, he, he was beginning to push Anthony Grant and just, and obviously the Prohaska injuries hurt the run game and all the other things that, but I, AJ Allen would have helped a lot in this game last fr Friday night. AJ Allen looked for all the world like a terrific, terrific prospect. And hopefully he'll fully recover. But yeah, he was looking good. But Yant, you know, he, he ought to know the plays by now. His work habits ought to be better by now. Maybe they are, he, but he's just not on the field much. Nobody's on the field much running the ball. It's, it's as if we went with Grant to start the game, leaned on him a little bit, but then forgot about him in the second half. Uh, you just can't do that. I don't think Nebraska wins this week without a great running game. I don't think Nebraska beats Illinois without a good running game. I'm not sure about the Minnesota game, and they're certainly not going to win in Michigan unless they can run the football, control the clock, shorten possessions. I know that may not be something Mark Whipple wants to do, but that's how you win in the Big Ten. And as we've talked about for the last four years, guys, one of the biggest problems that Scott Frost brought with him to Central Florida was when he hired his staff, not a single one of them had ever coached in the Big Ten Conference. None of them had ever coached in the Big Ten Conference. Chenander might have played in the Big Ten Conference, but he hadn't coached in the Big Ten Conference, and that's a world of difference. Well, and if you run the ball, Jim, you keep your quarterback from getting killed and can throw off a play action. So, I mean, right yeah. now, Casey Thompson's not going to make it through the season. There are guys, I know PFF isn't the end of the world, but there's guys scoring zero uh, on pass protection grades on this offensive line. I thought Casey Thompson wasn't going to make it through the game the other night. Sometimes, even if it's not efficient, running the football is a way to, A, as you just pointed out, shorten the football game, and B, make it possible to keep a defense honest at the very least. He, If he think, thinks he's been hit this season, he has no idea what's coming. Yeah. I mean, we've seen these six teams. We've seen what they do. Iowa's the most physical football team in the division. And, mm -hmm. and they played very well defensively the other night against a very good running back. Brown led the nation in rushing coming into that game. That's a good defensive football team that will strike you. And they're at the end of the schedule. Minnesota will strike you. Illinois has become an excellent defensive team. And uh, look, the strength, of, as Tom said, the strength of Purdue is their defensive line. And we, we had a little trouble with Rutgers' defensive line. Well, what are you going to do on the road in a hostile environment where they know this is a very big ball game? This is going to be a challenge. So that front five for the Big Red, including tight ends, they're really going to have to play a physical game. I thought it was interesting that Thompson, you know, he had a leave, was in the locker room. He was the last guy out. And then on, on that opening possession, Rutgers took a late hit penalty on him. And and I'm almost thinking in my, in my mind, like, Shiano was okay with that. He's like, Let, let's see if this guy gets back up because he knew how screwed Nebraska was if Thompson went out of that game. And uh, they, they popped him really well. I mean, Casey Thompson is a lot tougher than I ever, ever could have imagined. I mean, I knew he, he was a gunslinger and could do a lot of things with the football. But his toughness of all the things is probably the biggest surprise in, 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 in what we've seen out of him this year, Jim. Yeah, Eric Crouch is the toughest quarterback I've ever seen wear a Nebraska uniform. But I'm, be, I'm becoming a, a, a Thompson fan in that regard, Sean. He has gotten jolted, and he never got hit like that in the Big 12. Uh, they play physical football in the Big 12, but not like this. Uh, and that's the nature of the Big 10. We've seen it all season. We've seen it for years. You're going to have to strap it on 
And you're going to have to be willing to strike people and really come away from the game sore the next day. Uh, if that's not the case, then you're probably not going to win. And everybody's going to get a little bit injured the rest of the way if they're on the field. So it's which guys are tough enough to play through injuries. Now, there's a difference between being injured and hurt. I'm talking about guys getting hurt, not injured. If you're injured, you got a separated shoulder or a torn knee, that's one thing. But everybody's going to be hurt by the end of this season. So I just think the physical nature of Nebraska's game plan, it's not going to look pretty. We may not have as many uh, really beautiful deep balls thrown. The weather could also be a factor as the weather gets worse. Uh, but I just think for Nebraska to win the rest of the – to have a shot uh, at this division, and, and they've demonstrated that they believe they can, uh, it's going to have to take on a physical personality the rest of the way. I don't know about two backs, but maybe two backs wouldn't be a bad idea. A little option here and there. Not a bad idea. I love the shallow crosses that have now sort of become Casey's go-to play, especially on third and mid-range with the tight ends and with, uh, you know, Washington. But this is this is a whole different level of physicality that Nebraska is entering into starting this Saturday night and certainly a week from Saturday when Nebraska plays Illinois. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Jim, as we kind of wrap this week's discussion up, I do want to ask you one coaching question. Um, Matt Rule became available today. Pretend that you were a fly on the wall in Trev Albert's office when those emails or calls or texts came in about Matt Rule. And is he in this conversation now for the Nebraska job? It's a good question, Sean. I, I went through in advance of this just to show you how much respect I have for this podcast, the Monday Rundown Live. Uh, I did a lot more homework than I normally do. Uh, I looked at the top 20 teams in college football this week. And if you if you're sober about it and you look at what's available out there, uh, you've got eight guys, Dave Clawson, Dave Doran, Mike Leach, Chris Kleiman, Dino Babers, Lance Leipold, Kyle Whittingham, Luke Fickle. Those guys are in the top 25 right about now or in the top 21, 22. Uh, those are the guys in the top 25 that you would think would be gettable. They're not getting Mike Gundy. They're not getting Lincoln Riley. They're not getting Josh Heupel. They're not going to get Dabo Sweeney or Jim Arbaugh or Nick Saban. So if you look at that collection, and each one of them has a lot to say, and each one of them looks good, throw in Matt Rule. What Matt Rule did at Baylor and Temple is pretty impressive, and it had to do with his ability to develop people, develop talent, get guys nobody else really thought much about or wanted, and turn them into players. All of the guys that were drafted into the NFL uh, off the Dave Aranda team were recruited by Matt Rule at Baylor. Uh, and he has a pedigree in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State guy uh, has a lot of experience in that level of football, even though he didn't coach as a head coach in them. So I don't know how you rule him out if he wants to get back into college ball. Maybe he does. Uh, Nick Saban found that he didn't like it in the NFL. And look what he did when he came back to college. But I don't know how you rule him out because he checks a lot of boxes. Uh, and maybe from a financial standpoint, because I'm not familiar with all of the details of his agreement with the Carolina Panthers, it was a $62 million guaranteed deal. Uh, you wonder if financially it might not be a fit because he could mitigate some early 
salary, you know, so as to maximize his buyout from the NFL. I don't know any of those details. But how do you rule the guy out? Uh, he's he's got to be in the conversation. He checks every box. Uh, and I certainly think that's that's something that Trev has to consider. And I would throw this out at you, too. Uh, I, I think Mickey is a candidate on a lot of levels. Maybe as head coach, maybe to stay on the staff as in an elevated associate head coach position. But um, you can't argue uh, against what's happened at Oklahoma when it comes to hiring an assistant who's never been a head coach. I'm a huge Brent Venables fan. I will go into the foxhole for Brent Venables. I think he inherited a bigger mess than people think, hmm. but he'd never been a head coach before. And now he's dealing with problems he's never had to deal with before. He has support down there. Bob Stoops came out swinging for him, which you'd understand, former employee. But this, this is a, an issue when you talk about elevating an assistant who's never been a head coach. These are the issues that an athletic director, a director has to consider. Jim. Always good. This is fun. Do it again next week, I hope. Yeah, and I love the hat. Um, I, I was going to ask Sipple to follow up on that, you know, because Sipple's a dogged reporter, so uh, this, as you know, Jeff. But yeah. the, the, the pineapples, uh, is it heritage? Uh, is it a family thing? No, was, it's a golf a thing. Won or lost here? It's a, it's a golf thing. This hat manufacturer, and I'm not endorsed by them, so I don't know that I should give them the love that the uh, thousands and thousands are going to hear about right now. Um, but it's called, sweet, it's called Sweet Rolls, and it has to do with uh, putting luck. And I absolutely love pineapples. I just love them. It's my favorite fruit. And I saw the hat. And I have a lot of golf hats, and they all look the same. You know, they're your traditional brands or whatever. Right. And I thought, nobody walks around the golf course with a pineapple hat. I should do it. <laughs> and so I forgot I even had it on when we started the show. And then I realized Sip was kind of looking at me funny. And now I realize everybody wants to know. So that's that's the story behind the pineapple hat. There's no real great history to it. It's just a hat that I hope brings me luck on the golf course. So, so does this mean now we're entering into a, a, a hat derby where each <laughs> one of us try to one up each other's hats every week? Because yeah. I've got a deep collection. I've been at this a long time. And if this is the game, game on. Okay. <laughs> and maybe we're going to do this as, well, a, as a cheap and uh, tawdry way to get a greater audience. Well, I, I what team? Money, but you guys have more integrity. So I'll just follow your lead. What team is Jack's? Uh, if you didn't know this, Jeff, uh, Jim's son Jackson's playing for the Marlins organization as a pitcher. Nice. What, nice. Uh, what team is he on right now, Jim? Uh, well, he's he was uh, he went up and down the ladder last year. He went everywhere from uh, high A to triple A, and then they made him into a starter, and he wound up back at high A and had a good year. So they made him a starter, um, which is great. You know, that's good for him. Uh, the Rule 5 draft is coming up, and I, I think he's kind of hoping that maybe the Rule 5 draft will be a happy day for him. But, uh, yeah, he's got hats from uh, the Batavia Muck Dogs. He's got nice. hats from the – uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and the Beloit Sky Carp and the Beloit Snappers and any manner of minor league teams along, in addition to the Minnesota Gophers and the West Side Warriors and uh, the South Omaha Storm, South Omaha Red Storm. He still <laughs> so has Jim, that. You know, Sean and Jim, you both know there's nothing better than those minor league caps and those, uh, oh. you know, all all of those minor league ballparks and the stuff they go through to try to get people to It's the best. There he is. There we go. There he is. That's the man. There, there he is. 
That's my favorite. Get Jackson player. on the show. <laughs> yeah, you know that's doable. I, you know he's you know probably World Series. He'll he'll handicap the World Series for you. Hey, by the way, it's a small world. My best friend from college uh, until recently, he chose to leave, was the vice president of marketing for the Marlins. <laughs> so it's a small world. Yeah. Tough, tough job, Jim. Tough job to market for the Marlins. I swear yeah. to <laughs> you. You definitely need to be bilingual. That That's helpful. And if yeah. you're bilingual, that, that opens up a whole market for you. But uh, yeah. his highlight this last year actually came in the offseason. Because he was uh, he was working out a driveline down in Scottsdale with, among others, Shohei Otani, and nice. he actually threw he actually threw bullpen to Otani a couple times, a couple of broken bad ground balls to short, and that was the highlight of his entire baseball season. Getting Shohei Otani in a bullpen session to have two broken bad ground balls to short. And no matter what happens from here, he'll always have it, which is really cool because Shohei Itani is kind of a unicorn right now in baseball, doing things we haven't seen since Ruth. So pretty cool. Well, thanks for asking about him, fellas. And uh, should be yeah. a great game Saturday night. That'll be a wild atmosphere at West Lafayette. That's a good football coach. That's a tough team. And you mentioned it, Sean. They've lost a lot of material over the years, but they still keep moving it up and down the field. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rosie, again. And uh, talk to you in the morning on KFAB. See you soon. Have a good evening, guys. Be well, good sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Sean, this was fun again. Always is. I want to remind everybody before we sign off real quick, uh, Husker Online, of course, the best in the business covering Nebraska. We're talking about years and years and years of experience, great insight and professionalism. I don't know why you wouldn't sign up for a paltry $10. I feel like we're undercharging you. I would ask for $50 a month, maybe $100, but they're forcing us to say 10. So it's 10 a month for you guys for Husker Online. No excuses. Let's get on board here, everybody. We'll do this again next week on Monday. I look forward to it. Sean, it is a big game, buddy. I, I don't, just you and me talking, I don't suspect Nebraska is going to win this game. But boy, if they do, it heightens the level of interest and really changes the ceiling of what's possible for this year. Yeah, it. I mean, if they were to win in West Lafayette as a double-digit underdog, which is possible, um, you know, this would change everything with Mickey Joseph, too, I think. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have to really start saying, you know what, this is the direction it might be heading versus like, hey, it could get there. This right. This is a fun story. Um, but, yeah, the back end, as all of our guests have talked about tonight, the back end of this schedule is brutal in terms of just the physicality each one of these games is going to bring and the defenses. And I think we're all smart enough to know that Nebraska's offensive line right now has issues. And um, you, we, we're all worried about Casey Thompson, too. That's yeah. the other conclusion I have about tonight's show is um, just the, the health of Casey Thompson over these final six games is going to be dicey with the number of hits he could take. Yeah, with Tom Deanhart and then Jim talking about it as well, and then you and I talking about it at the beginning and Sip talking about it, I kept thinking – do we really want to stress that this offensive line is a profound weakness about to face off against four of the best defensive lines in the country? <laughs> that's a that's a toughie, but you are preparing people for what they might see and what they have to overcome. Hey, I want to thank Trey for producing again tonight. Sean, it's always a pleasure to be with you, buddy. I want to thank all the people that were watching online and who will be listening on the podcast as well. Uh, you're what makes it go. Just $10 a year, Husker Online. You should get started with it right now and get your membership. We'll do it again next week. Until next time, for Sean, I'm Jeff. Be well, everybody. Take care.